I really appreciate with having a home clinic and being able to make my home a welcoming space for others. Because working as a clinician, as a Zhongyi, I do feel like I'm welcoming people to be my family. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. When I say the word belonging, what comes to mind for you? Take a moment. Notice the images that float up into your attention or the sounds that you might hear. Are there people or things that come to mind? And where in your body do you feel it when you consider those images, sounds, or relationships that are tagged with the word belonging? You might have heard me talk about the two cats we recently got. Over the time of a few months, I've watched them grow together in how they play with each other, sleep on or near each other, how they gang up on the humans when they want to be fed. There is a way that they have grown into belonging to one another. Belonging is different than ownership, although the Venn diagram overlap of ownership and belonging is significant. Ownership implies the ability to do something with what you have. It's yours to do with as you please. You can take loving care of it or you can burn it to the ground. It's easy to focus on the side of control in the ownership relationship. But as all things reveal aspects of both yin and yang, there is a side to ownership that has to do with being responsible for and being responsible toward. This is where we get into the terrain of belonging. Does something belong to you or do you belong to it? Consider your practice or if you're still a student in your studies, do you own your practice or do you belong to it? Consider that with belonging, we are looking at what or whom we are responsible to. Belonging is a sort of kinship, a way of being connected that goes way beyond the bounds of ego and skin and allows for the connection that comes from being willingly responsible towards that which is within the sphere of our influence. It makes me think of husbandry in the more archaic sense of the word, in the connective sense that we care with attention and appreciation for all that is within the domain that we own, owe, and are responsible toward. Own and owe. I want to dig into this for a moment because it's easy to blind ourselves by looking at any one side of the yin-yang relationship and see the imbalances and the troubles that that instigates. Ownership gets a bad rap when we consider the dark side of capitalism, but consider that anything you, air quotes here, own, there is also an element of what you owe to that, which is within your domain of influence. Are you a top-down tyrant towards that which is within your world of influence, or do you husband or midwife the connections of kinship and belonging? It's a slight change of focus, like noticing the forest instead of a tree. There is a web of exchange in which we cannot live long without. How we attend to that web, I suspect, might help us not just as practitioners of medicine, but as parents, spouses, neighbors, and perhaps even enemies. How does your clinic look and feel when you consider that you belong to it? Is there something else you notice in your familiar relationships from the stance of you belonging to them? What happens when you stop thinking of your patients as yours 
and consider the way that you belong to them. Consider your business. Does it belong to you or do you belong to it? It's not a yes-no question. Our practices are something to husband, cultivate, and care for. We pay taxes, purchase licenses, buy insurance, have policies, procedures, and workflows. Yes, in part because it is ours to control, but beyond that, it's ours to care for. Responsibility for and responsibility towards. Do we put our attention on an individual tree or are we concerned with the ecosystem of the forest? As with anything yin-yang, coming firmly down on one side to the point where we are blinding ourselves to the opposite is sure to bring about the self-corrective reversal that all polarities tend towards. Consider holding both poles. And not in the way of collapsing into a gray middle, but staying with the ever-present tension that all polarities generate. Perhaps then we can belong to our world and the experience in a way that allows for the exchanges of kinship and belonging that naturally arise when we are a part of, rather than apart from, this curious world in which we find ourselves. In a moment, we're going to dive into a conversation with Ji Ling Lin on the pros and cons of having a practice in your home. About five years ago, I find myself, much to my surprise, considering moving my practice into a home office if I could find the right house to support it, which I did. And for me, it's been a good move. Ji Ling is a new practitioner, and she had some questions about having a home practice. I suspected there are others of you listening to this that might have considered this way of working. So we rolled some podcast tape on the conversation, hoping that this discussion would be useful to others who are thinking about working from their homes. Ji Ling is driving this conversation, and we're going to get into that in a moment. That commute I have to the home office, it took a little getting used to. But as with all things in time, you'll adapt. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. 
Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Gene Link brings up some important points and concerns about having a home office. Let's get into this. Michael, good to see you. Hey, Jiling, great to see you. So I'm I'm excited to hear more about your home clinic practice. I'm just starting off um, in about the first year of my clinical practice here, and still working at a variety of different places, getting my feet wet in a variety of different opportunities. And one of the opportunities and possibilities is we're looking into homes, and I'm considering whether I want to continue working in somebody else's clinic, lease another space, or have a clinic out of my home. And so I would love to hear about your experiences with your home clinic. And specifically, we can begin with, um, what's your clinical practice like right now? Okay, so we're here like in the middle of the third wave of COVID as we record this. My clinical practice is definitely more enlivened than it was when this whole thing began because I shut it down. Hmm. One of the problems of having a home clinic when you've got a new pandemic in town and you're not sure what it's going to be, it's like, I want people in my home, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I got family. You know, It's one thing to see people in your clinic, but when your clinic's your home, yeah. All right, there's that safety issue. We can talk about other safety issues later mm-hmm. as we get into it. But right now, I'm seeing people at about a third of my usual capacity. I've mm-hmm. got two treatment rooms here. I'm using just one. 
I'm leaving space in between seeing people. So I can't work and see as many people as I did at the beginning of this year. But here's mm -hmm. the really good news. My overhead is really low. <laughs> so in some ways it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it, it's not, it's not going to make or break me in a way. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah. There, so there's that. So with the low overhead, I'm curious if we take it back a little bit, like mm. how long you have been in your home clinic and what were some of the reasons that you decided to move from your, I visited your medical clinic before, it's super beautiful, professional looking, centrally located space. I'm also curious about what motivated this move from that space to your home. To my home. Yeah. So that's a great question. It's a really great question. And I'm just, I'm just reflecting back on it for a moment. What was going on? What was going on was the landlord who was renting us this nice condo that we had, that we've been living in since we got to St. Louis. It, it was a sweet little one bedroom condo that overlooked all these trees. I mean, it was like living in a tree house. It was a really sweet little spot. And I was quite content to be living there. And, and then I had this nice little practice in downtown Kirkwood and a little suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we could walk there. It was a little walking community. You were there, right? It was just, I mean, it was comfortable. It was professional without being overly sanitized. And, and everything was going just fine until the landlord says, we're selling the condo. We're going to give you first dibs. Do you want it? And I thought, oh, well, hmm, good question. Let's give me a week to think about this. And so I started looking into it. It's like, do we, you know, do we want to buy this place? Do we want to keep doing what we've been doing? Do I want to move back to the Northwest? I even took a trip back to the Northwest right around that time thinking, maybe I'll move back to the Northwest. I don't want to live in Seattle again, but. Maybe Tacoma or Bellingham or you know, I really, I love the Northwest and I miss it in my bones. That landscape is just so enthralling for me. I just, I'm just home, like capital H home in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so I went out there and looked at things. And after that trip, which netted me some opportunity, I could have walked right into a clinic and started working. But I realized that like at the age of, close to 60, starting a practice from scratch was like, I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to put myself in that kind of emotional and economic peril at this stage of the game. So it was like, do we keep the condo? Do we keep doing what we're doing? And, and then, I, you know, I don't know where it came from because ever since I graduated acupuncture school, I have been adamant or I had been adamant, I should say. It's like, I'm not working out of my home, just not doing it. I remember a classmate who the first thing she did was like work part-time at one place. And then she had a, a clinic space in her house. And I thought there's no flipping way. I am not working out of my, that is like so unprofessional. I just had this idea in my mind. It's like, that is unprofessional and I am professional. So I'm not working out of my damn home. 
but there's this change in the air. And I took the invitation of this landlord to really look at life in this moment. And what do we want? And what would fit for me now? And of course, that thought about being a professional was like super important to me because the idea did flow through my mind. What if I had a home office? I thought, no, I'm a professional. I can't. And then I like stopped in mid thought and was thinking, I am a professional. And there was a point in my life, and especially early on with a practice, because like, who am I? Some, you know, new minted acupuncturist. I felt like I needed to lean on the image of what a professional was. And that included a space that was a professional looking space. And I needed that for myself to, to grow into being the person that I was. But after 18 years of practice, I was like, you know, if I'm not professional by now, then I'm never going to be professional. And being professional is not something that's outside of me. It's something that's inside of me. And I realized that I had it inside of me. And so it occurred to me, actually, I think I could have a practice in my home if we had the right space. It had to have a separate entrance. It had to have a separate bathroom. It had to be in some way separate from my living quarters. And I thought, maybe, maybe we could do this. Since we're either going to buy this condo or buy a house, you know, maybe I could buy a house and put the clinic in it. And I thought, let's see if we can make that happen. And we found this perfect place, perfect house for this. And it's it's this gorgeous mid-century designed house, which I love mid-century modern design. So, I mean, we I remember walking into this place and going, oh, yeah, there's the waiting room. There's one treatment room. There's the other treatment room, living quarters up there. Great. Yep. Check, check, check. Wow. So you were able to identify this internal sense of professionalism, regardless Mm. of the space that it is that you were in, and then find a space which met your needs for that internal sense of professionalism, as well as um, being able to separate home and work. Yeah, I was like already a professional. It doesn't matter where I do my work, because I take me there. Mm -hmm. And it's been great. Yeah. So you're, it sounds Mm -hmm. like you're loving it. (laughs) I do. I've got a seven step commute to work. (laughs) You know, it's easy to like go home and have lunch and take a little nap between patients. Uh Um, my patients really like it. Oh yeah. That was, yeah. That was another question that I had was how did that affect your patients? Like mm-hmm. how many patients transitioned with you from your old Kirkwood space to your new space in your home? Like, was there any patient loss along the way or was it? I can, primarily- I can tell you. Yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> so as, as we were in the middle of this process and like we're in the middle of buying this house, I woke up one night at like three in the morning, flipping out, thinking, oh my God, Did I just blow up my practice? Did I just ruin my practice? What if nobody wants to come see me in my home? I flipped out. It was a really scary, scary moment. Um, The deal was not all the way done on the house, but it was like far enough that it was hard to turn it around. But 
I mean, I just had a really scary anxiety filled moment. So I got up that morning, I crafted an email to my patients, a little bit of a poll actually. And I asked them, basically, if I was working out of a home office and, and describe, you know, home office, it's clean, it's got its own bathroom, separate entrance, blah, 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 explain what it was. Would you come see me? Would that get in the way of you coming to see me? And then I asked a follow-up question, uh, would that get in the way of you referring people to me? And I had about 3% of the people confirm that it would have been a bad idea because they said, no, if you're, if you're working out of a home office, I would not come to see you. That's unprofessional. I won't come see you. I would, you know, I would go find somebody else. But 97% of the people that responded said, yeah, I'd come in. That's and, and I think 85, 90% said, of course, I'd refer people to you. Why wouldn't I? So that 3%, I could live without them. <laughs> yeah. How about when you get referrals from MDs or other medical professionals? Has it affected that at all? I don't know. I don't, I don't have many MDs referred to me that I know of. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not a market that I go after. Mm-hmm. I did have one person who um, I could see she was like outside the window and, and the phone rings and she goes, I'm confused. This is a new patient. I'm confused. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a residential area. <laughs> I go, Oh, did you read the email that I sent you about your appointment? She goes, no, I didn't read the email. It's like, Oh yeah. Explain. I work out of a home office. She goes, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm welcome to see you. Oh. I'm like, okay. All right. One person in four years did that. It's just not a big deal. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question about how do you tell patients that you're in the home office? So is it primarily in the email or is it when you have a phone conversation with the potential? It's both. Mm. And I, and I like having a phone conversation with people because I want to, I want to get a sense of who they are before I let them come in. Mm -hmm. I screen them on the front, that first phone call. Mm Mm-hmm. And because again, it, if, if it was, if it was not in my home, I would probably see almost anybody. Actually, is that true? That may not be true. There's a lot of people I just don't even want to see these days. And I would screen them out because I think they're in, it would be inappropriate for the kind of practice I have. But I do like to talk to people and just get a little sense of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what type of questions do you ask people for screening? Like, do you have a list of questions that you run through or you operate on intuition. I just, I just listen to them and I see how I feel about how I feel when I talk to them. Mm-hmm. So you allow the conversation to do what conversations will and you gauge your internal sense and take it from there. If somebody sounds like they're high drunk or just kind of out of it, I will refer them somewhere else. I've got all kinds of people that they call and it's like, I can't even understand why I've even had people say, why should I come to acupuncture? I'm like, yep, you're not a patient for me. Oh, why would they call if they would have a thought like that? I have no idea. I'm not <laughs> even interested in finding out. Uh-huh. Sometimes because a friend says you should do it. Oh, my, my uh-huh. friend said I should do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So your usual way of telling patients if you don't feel like it would be appropriate for your home office is to give them a referral or Yeah, I'll, ask I'll, them. I'll ask them a little bit about what's going on for them. And then I'll refer them to someone I think is appropriate and probably a much better fit. 
You know, it's like people call me, they want help. I, I really do want to help them. Sometimes the best way I can help them is by sending them to where they can get better help than they can get from me. Yeah. So you mentioned that sometimes the patients, it's not right for your type of practice. How mm. would you describe your type of practice or treatment style or a typical session with Michael Max, acupuncturist? Oh, God, that's a right. <laughs> don't. Jeez. It... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. I might have been able to answer that question better 15 or, you know, ten, five or 10 years ago. Um, Things have changed a bit now. I don't even know how to, and I'm not, and I'm not playing coy here. Maybe I can answer that question a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. There's a, ask me the question a little bit later. I don't have anything coming up specific right now. Okay. Sounds Let's good. circle back on it. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. We'll circle right. back to it. I'll make a note of that. Okay. Ask. But, but I do want to answer what you were saying about what, what do I say to them? You know, and do I tell them in an email or do I tell them on the phone? And so if I decide I do want to see somebody, uh, I will I will make an appointment with them. It, it goes into my online scheduling system. The system will also send them an email with a map and the address and online health history forms and all that good stuff. And I and I say to them, I say, great. So your appointment is for da-da-da. Um, you'll be receiving the address and a map to my to my home office. I use the words home office. I don't just say home. I say my home office. And uh, explain that you can park in the driveway. There's room for two cars. Or you can park in front of the house. Please park in front of the house. And just walk up the driveway. You'll see a door right on the edge. Just come on in and make yourself comfortable. So I looked for your clinic on Google Maps, and I was surprised to find that your your full address is on there. Your entire home address is listed. And mm -hmm. I'm curious about your decision for having your home address be public. Well, these days, if somebody wants to find you, they're going to find you. I mean... Come on, it's the internet age, right? If somebody really wants to find you, they're going to find your home address. It's not difficult. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so you had so, no qualms about that. Well, I have some qualms. Okay, so there is that. We're going to come back to the qualms in a moment. But I'm also working out of my home, and this is one of the trade-offs, is that my address is out there. So it's just part of the mix, and you have to decide how comfortable you feel about that. Yeah. What are some of the other safety-related type things about having people come to your home and clinic? You know, I, I, I keep a shotgun in the closet. No, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> come on now. It is Missouri. No, um, no it, it's, a really good, it's a really good question. So I, I think those are important things to pay attention to. And I think everybody needs to, to decide what level of comfort and what level of safety they want to have for themselves. So one of the things that we did, I think in the past year or so, is I've, I've put up some video cameras around my place. So, so I've got video records of people coming and going. Um, there will be video records because it trips the camera. If we're not, you know, if we're not, it's just security cameras, right? So I've increased the security that way, just, just to be on the safe side. I have had patients on occasion. Um, again, I try to screen them out these days, but in the past, I've had patients on occasion, and they just felt sketchy to me. 
they were just, you know, sometimes something just kind of gets you and you're like, ooh, I just need to be careful. So for those patients, while they're laying on the table with needles, I'll go out and take a picture of their license plate, put it in their record. Just, you know, just one, it's just, just, just in case. It doesn't happen very often. I've done it a handful of times. But since we're talking security, this is something to think about. And, and that's just one of the things that I've done. Yeah. And then afterwards, if you felt that kind of sketchy feeling with a patient, would you just go ahead and refer them out as well? Absolutely. At, th at this point, yeah, at this point, if, if anything feels sketchy, I just refer them out. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the types of patients that you see, it sounds like now you're being much more selective. And part of that is because you're at home, but part of this is because you've been doing this for so long that you have this gift to be able to be selective with your practice. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Well, I have found through lessons painfully learned, there are certain people that I just cannot help. I just can't help them. For example, people that want to stop smoking. I don't even try. Because most people, the vast majority, want the acupuncture to make them do something that they actually don't want to stop doing. And I'll call them right out on the phone with us. Oh, you want to stop smoking? Okay, that's cool. Do you want to quit or do you want the acupuncture to make you quit? Oh, well, I was kind of hoping acupuncture would make me quit. I'm like, don't waste your time and money. That's a very straightforward way of saying it. Well, I mean, there may be people that have made people quit with acupuncture. There, there may be way better acupuncturists than me, but I have never, ever been able to make someone stop smoking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so if, if they're calling for that, I can't provide that service, right? Sometimes people will call and it's like, well, you know, I, I, I want you to help me lose 50 pounds. It's like, can't make you lose weight. I mm -hmm. can help you with all kinds of things around some of your issues with weight, but the acupuncture isn't going to make you do something that you mm -hmm. actually don't want to do. So on the flip side, what are, what are the types of patients that you feel like you have the most benefit with? Yeah. Okay. We're back to that question. So <laughs> I would say a lot of folks really, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you got your sort of run of the mill digestive issues or 
headache kinds of issues, you know, women's health. Chinese medicine is so good for women's health. It's such a treasure mm. for women's health, right? So I, I can often help people with that, especially in these days, anxiety, depression. Here we are in the middle of COVID and all the crazy political stuff we got. So your garden variety psychoemotive issues, I, I think respond really well and, and I can work with those pretty well. People that are more on you know, who, who I have a, a somewhat severe diagnosis, I found I, I am very unhelpful with mental illness. And, and I refer those folks out, especially the people who think, again, that the acupuncture is going to cure something that they actually need a lot more support and help for. It's like, in, unless people are getting those other kinds of supports and help, I, I, I'm not going to let them come in and think that acupuncture alone is going to help them if they're not going to do some other work in other places that needs to be done. So part of the screening process is being able to understand for you whether or not the patient is going to take their part of the healing journey as opposed to having you be the grandmaster, big healer, God for them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, you could say that. And I want to make sure that if somebody comes in, I will be able to help them. If there's something going on and I can't do that alone, then, then I don't want to get into it. I mean, I want to make sure that I'm able to be helpful. And, and I also want people to walk away. This is very selfish. I want people to come away with a good sense that acupuncture is helpful. I don't want them going, I don't want them going away and saying, oh yeah, I tried acupuncture. That shit doesn't work. I want them to come away and go, yeah, that acupuncture is really helpful for me. And, and so for the people where I think it's not going to help, I'm not going to offer it. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like you're able to do these things regardless of whether it's a home clinic or a medical type establishment. Mm. It's more based on the treatment and that patient interaction itself rather than the location of where it's going on. Yes, that's right. If I was working in a outside office again, I would still probably screen my patients or if somebody was doing calls for me, I would have them screen in the same way. Mm -hmm. Because again, I want people to be successful. I want them to have a good experience. Mm -hmm. So prior to COVID, were you utilizing both treatment rooms at the same time, like maybe mm -hmm. 30 minutes in one and then 30 minutes in the other, bouncing back and forth, juggling patients? Not quite 30 minutes. I leave a little bit more room than that because I don't want too much traffic in my neighborhood. Mm. But but yes, basically bouncing back and forth between two rooms. Mm -hmm. yeah, and now, yeah, now post-COVID, I imagine it's probably like one patient at a time with space in between. This is not post-COVID. This is COVID. During Zhongtian. COVID. <laughs> COVID, Zhongtian. that's right. Yeah. Mid-COVID. Mid-COVID. Yeah, one at a time. Post COVID, thinking. Post COVID, back to two rooms, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got your home on the upstairs and mm -hmm. the clinic in the downstairs. So there's that nice space of separation in between. But mentally, it's work down below and like chill space up top. Like, how do you maintain that boundary between home and work existence? Yeah, there is no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention, I've got a podcast. That really makes things complicated, too. Uh -huh. So, you know, work-life work, work -life balance. I was like, 
I don't know. I, I used to think that was an important thing. And then, you know, I spent some time in Asia and my teachers had incredibly poor boundaries with work and home. So. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I had a teacher in Taiwan who was in his 90s. He was still working six days a week. Last time I saw him, he was in his late 90s. He went down to four days a week, right? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. So you're still, you're still burning down the candle. Like you're still doing all of it. Well, life is short. You might as well burn it bright. <laughs> yeah, I asked that question because right now in the first year of my practice, I'm finding out that it's really difficult to maintain that work-life balance for myself. And for the first couple months of practice, I would say I was not getting enough sleep and mm -hmm. not, not doing so hot and feeling a little bit hypocritical, like telling my patients about sleep hygiene and, you know, these rituals and whatnot, and not doing so well on my own. And part of having that home clinic for, for myself is just like, it's, it's always present. Like, oh, I can be refilling the needles. I can be cleaning things ad nauseum. There's paperwork. There's an endless yeah. laundry so, list. There's an endless list and it's something to be mindful about. And it is a, it's kind of a practice to be able to go, you know what? I'm not working right now. I'm going to light a fire and sit here on the couch and I'm going to read some fiction right? or play some music or whatever you do. There, there is a sense of practice and discipline that I think we develop in time. And that thing about you're talking to your patients about Yangsheng and, and how do you take care of yourself? I can tell you 20 plus years into the practice, I'm talking to my patients about exactly the same thing. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, you listening, Michael Max? Are you listening to this? You better be listening because you need that too. You know, we're human beings as well. We're no different than our patients. And so, yeah, we, we need to hear it as well. Uh -huh. yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So for somebody just starting out, considering whether they want to create a home clinic or medical clinic, what kind yeah. of suggestions would you give and what kind of guiding questions for that type of person? Okay. So if you're not insecure like I was and you needed to have the outside trappings to feel like you were real, so to speak, if you if you've already got, you know, enough of your sense of self that working out your home is fine for you, then good for you. <laughs> you know, that's great. I would I would encourage you to ask the questions of um why do I want the home clinic? What what are the benefits? What do I see as a benefit? What do I see as helpful? Why what's what's drawing me toward that? And if the only thing that's drawing you is I'm going to save money, then I would encourage you to maybe look at your relationship with money a little bit more. If if you're drawn to it because you want to live a life that's a little bit simpler in some ways, if you're drawn to it because um, you want to create a space that actually doesn't feel medical, Having a home clinic is a way to create a healing space that has very little to do with the medical model. Now, that will dissuade. There are people that want to walk into a clinic that looks medical, and they're not going to come see. They probably won't come see you. They probably won't even call you, right? Oh, yeah, they work out of their home. Now, I'm looking for like a real clinic. 
right? There, there probably are people like that. And you might miss out on those. But what you're not going to miss out on are the people who they're looking for something that is not the mainstream. So let me put the question back to you. And, and we can dig into this together. What is it that draws you about having a home clinic? Hmm. I really love tailoring my space. And I feel like that can happen, though, regardless of whether it's at home or uh, within another facility. But one of my primary herbal mentors, Seven Song, he works out of his home. And mm. his place is similar to yours in that he lives upstairs and the classroom is downstairs. So he teaches out of his home. The clinic is in town, which is like 20 minutes away down the hill. He's in the forest. And that kind of setup was was really convenient. He also had a whole apothecary and uh, a lot of stuff going on downstairs where the classroom and the apothecary was. And I just loved that. Like we would have class and I was an apprentice and so had more roles than other students did. Like have class and during lunchtime run upstairs, make lunch, eat lunch, run back downstairs to the classroom. Like I appreciate that level of convenience. And there's also a sense of hominess that I really appreciate with having a home clinic and being able to make my home a welcoming space for others. Because working as a clinician, as a Zhongyi, I do feel like I'm welcoming people to be my family. I am welcoming people mm -hmm. to be home with me. And when it is in my home, I feel like that is a, perhaps a little bit easier to create that sense. Like I'm actually welcoming you into my home. Um, I hope you respect that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a welcome. Yeah, that's, that's really sweet. I, and, and I can, I can feel the invitation in your voice with that. Mm -hmm. I'm opening up my space to you. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I have some of that sense as well. It's like, welcome home. Mm -hmm. Right. This is a safe, comfortable place. Yeah. I think yeah. one of the wonderful things about acupuncture is it, it takes people home in a way. It really does. And how do I know it takes people home? Because so often people will drift off on the table. You've had this experience, right? And th they come back and they open their eyes and they say, oh, wow, I, I drifted off. And, 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 and I thought I was at home. I just came back. I thought I was at home. It's like, yes. you are. Yeah, yeah. I love it when people have that experience. I, I like feel like I had some level of success if the patient is able to fall asleep and be so comfortable and wake up surprised that they're on this clinic table. I'm like, yes, that was a good treatment. <laughs> I, I tend to take that as a positive sign, that that sense of Lee, right? That sense of coherence. Uh, they've just fallen into their own coherence. Right. And, and that that's like the place in your heart that you call home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of my reasons for home clinic. And then there's also logistical reasons with like, well, if we're going to buy a home, then might as well one stone mm. to hit two birds <laughs> yes, 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 yes. and not have to keep on paying lease and never getting a place that is mine forever and ever, but to just like pay mortgage and be able to have the space, uh, one space holding two functions. Yes. Spot on. I cannot agree with you more. I love the space that I had 
and to not be on the hook for almost $2,000 a month, it gives me a kind of, is the word freedom? It gives me, I'm less encumbered by that kind of a financial overhead. And so I don't have to see as many people. And so I've got time to do things like the podcast. And I've got some time that I can be with my family instead of working so that, you know, I mean, it used to be that like the first week, week plus of any month was working to cover the overhead, right? So, okay, I, I worked hard all week. All right, now I can start making some money. Yeah. Yeah, paying rent really feels like kind of like flushing the money away because there's no direct return on it. Like I keep on giving somebody rent and in return, I get a temporary quotes, professional place to have mm -hmm. my practice. But in the long run, I don't get to keep that place. The money has gone to somebody else. The patients have come and gone within that space. It could be somewhere else. Exactly. And if I was to have a space again on the outside of my house, I would want to buy it mm -hmm. because I would want, I would want to have that money be invested, so to speak. Yeah. Instead of just giving it away, I, I would want it sunk into something that's going to appreciate over time. In real estate, generally speaking, I mean, 2008 was not a good year for real estate, but, you know, generally speaking, real estate's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, you sure are young now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you, get, you get two purposes out of one thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and again, if you, if you've got the kind of spirit for it, then I think it can be great. Yeah. So you mentioned that your practice has gotten a little bit more peaceful in that back when you're in the medical practice, you're hustling a little bit, particularly at the beginning of the month, less hustle now with the home clinic because not that as big of a overhead 2000 a month. Well, I would say... At the beginning of any practice, you're going to hustle. Be prepared to hustle for the first five years. Hustle your ass off. I mean, really. Like the first five years, it's like work it. But over time, the thing gets momentum, right? Your practice gets momentum. As it gets momentum, you, you don't have to push all the time. You can, I'm not saying that you take your foot off the accelerator, but you can coast a bit. You can coast because you've built a tailwind for yourself. Referrals are coming in because people that you don't even know are talking about you because they're related to people that you have seen. And so over time, your referral network grows, and, and that that's super helpful. Um, but yes, it's really nice not having the, the extra overhead. Yeah. Has changing to the home clinic changed your marketing strategy at all? Like right no. now, it's about the similar. Marketing strategy, always the same write a lot of articles on your website that will draw Google searches and make sure that they're written in a way that people go, oh, that's helpful information. And I've got a sense of who this person is. So I've never advertised. Um, I've always used the internet. I've never bought Google ads, but my clinic is always on the first page of Google in a local search. And it's not hard to get your clinic on the first page of Google on a local search. And that's where you want it. You don't want to be on a national search. You don't want people from New York calling you. You want people from a 50 mile radius calling you. So there are things you can do with your website 
that make it very, very Googleicious and will uh, bring people into you. Mm. So that's your marketing strategy is the Googleicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Become Googleicious and have your patients gossip about you to their friends and family. Those are the two prongs of my marketing strategy. Googleicious and gossip, the two mm -hmm. Gs. The two Gs. <laughs> 2G marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, one more question, possibly, uh, is I'm so curious, what are you excited about right now in your practice? And what do you feel like is is like the next horizon for you? Because as a as mm. a younger practitioner, I feel like there's so much that I'm excited about and curious and it just feels like there's not enough time to do it all. And there's so many different horizons that I'm looking at over. And I'm curious for you who've been doing this for 20 plus years now, right? Mm -hmm. What do you feel like, where do you feel like you're headed and what, what does the horizon hold for you? Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know where I'm headed. I often don't know where I'm headed. I, I, I'm serious. I have followed hunches my whole life and often felt guilty about it. I know so many people and they plan things and they're good at planning and they create a plan, they do the plan, they live their plan. And I've followed hunches my entire life and I'm still getting away with it. So... <laughs> <laughs> no one's knocked on the door yet and said, Mr. Max, I'm sorry. No, you can't do this. It, it's like, it seemed, it's my own quirky way of getting through things. So like, what's up? Where do I see things going? It's always a bit of a surprise. And what I have to say today, it could be very different from what I say in two years. So with that preface, I have um, where I'm currently at, thank God, Deep thanks to the podcast and all of the people that have been on it because the um, extraordinary plurality and diversity within our profession is, it's truly extraordinary. And if you want to go somewhere or create something or just follow your own nose, there's 
probably people that are on a similar track, right? And you can find them and learn from them. Or you can just go blaze your own, right? There's room to blaze your own. The thing I love about Chinese medicine is we take these basic principles and we use them as like a compass and a guiding star. You can go anywhere you want with a compass and a guiding star, and maybe knowing how to smell the wind and knowing something about, you know, what a terrain has to say. So partly I navigate like that. But but in the past few years, I I have really become curious about this perspective with Sa'am acupuncture and the way that it creates this kind of cohesive conversation between the five phases and the six qi, the Jing and the Wuxing. And like over the past two years, I'd say I've gone from having a very cognitive idea of what the five phases and six Jing are to increasingly an embodied kind of sense. It's starting to invade my perception where I'll sometimes see something happening in the world and I'll go, Oh, this is a, uh, this is a Yang Ming situation, right? Or, Oh, look at it. Look at shit falling apart here. This is a drain situation. I've got the heat over there. We got the cold over there and they really need to get together, but they can't get anywhere near each other. Well, that's a drain situation, which is different than like a Shaoyang situation where you can actually bring them together and harmonize. So, so I've been following my nose on that piece. And, and so that partly informs what I'm doing. But the other thing that, that's really got my attention lately is how to sit with a patient and help them without arguing with them and without feeling like I'm supposed to tell them what to do. So... For many years, I feel like I've been arguing with my patients. Like, they'll come in, they'll be doing X, Y, Z. And I'm thinking, you dumb shit. Like, you want to lose weight, and yet you're eating Twinkies for breakfast. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much, right? And I'm as guilty of this as every as anybody else, right? There's things we do in our life that are very counterproductive. And, and sometimes I've just been short and frustrated with people. And it's like, well, just don't do the thing that's causing you the problem and life will be better. And I used to be nice about it. And I, you know, I'm going to give them some advice. I'm going to give them some ideas about Chinese medicine, or I'm going to try to talk them out of it or, you know, something they're coming to me for help. So I got to do something that's air quotes helpful. And that's really wearisome because you know what? It never works. I mean, it just never, it just flat out doesn't work. That's why acupuncture is great. Cause you can like look at something and go, Oh, I can't tell them to have better boundaries, but I can like tonify their gallbladder and they'll just have better boundaries. I don't, I, I don't have to tell them how to do it. I can just bring something up in them and then they'll do it. But the thing that's got my attention lately is how I can talk to people and listen to what they got going on and not argue with them, but just get more curious about the like the places they're stuck and the things they say to themselves and try to understand them better from their own point of view. Because I think a lot of times people just don't even understand themselves. 
And they've got all these thoughts in their head, but they're actually not listening to themselves. And so for me, the work that's really got my attention at the moment, it's not even about using needles. It's just how I sit with people and help them hear what they're actually saying to themselves. Because sometimes when they do that, something shifts. And they're not, they're not fighting me. It used to be, you know, it's like everyone's got a stance on something. And, and if you can be in the presence of someone who's helping you have the fight, then you can stay as stuck as you want to be. But if you're talking to somebody and there's no fight, there's just like a mirror where you can actually like listen to yourself and listen to your own solutions that you might not have been able to hear before. I'm not saying that I'm doing psychotherapy. I'm not doing psychotherapy. I have no interest in psychotherapy. Sorry. Um, but the thing that's got my attention is just a way of listening and not, this is just what I call it. This is like what I'm calling it these days, listening without arguing, seeing if I can understand people from their own point of view and just seek to understand. Can I understand what's going on for this person? Sometimes that alone is really helpful for them. But more importantly, if I can understand somebody from their own point of view and I can plug that into how I think about Chinese medicine then I'll know what to do that I, that might be helpful. Mm. So this process of listening and being like a, a clear pond for the patient mm. for you, does this occur more prior to the, the process of putting needles in or cups or doing things like during the intake process or when the patient is on the table and you're in conversation with them or after the treatment and doing things part or which part of the treatment session does it show up for you? Great question. I would say it's what we would commonly call the intake. Mm -hmm. I don't even like, see, I don't even use the word intake, right? <laughs> I figured I, you wouldn't like that. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't, you know, I'm more of a, someone comes down and I'm like, Hey, what's up? It's a conversation. The conversation, let's call it the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's usually more in the conversation. Once people are on the table and we're starting to do the needles, I don't want the words to get in the way. And too often the words will bring people like more into their thinking mind and more into that like outward focus. Mm -hmm. and, and I prefer them to be more inward. There may be a little, some conversation while the needles are happening, but I prefer that conversation to be the nonverbal, you know, conversation of needles and pulse and palpation and breathing and presence. And then afterwards, usually not say much at all. Just, just let them take whatever they've got and as quietly as possible, let them slip out the door with it. I do not want to bring them into their thinking mind after the treatment. So I guess a logistical question then about that, do you have the patient pay for the session prior to coming in or how are they able to, how are you able to maintain that easy presence even with the, the money part? Um, because money's just not an issue. Beautiful. It's not, I don't make it an issue. It's just, this is what we do. And now we're doing this and, and it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just not even, it's just not the issue it used to be. Oh God, I got to take money and I'm all freaked out. I mean, that's about me. It's not about them. My nervous system is fine with it and they're mm -hmm. fine with it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like needling a Jing well point. If I'm cool with it, they're going to be cool with it. Uh-huh. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It sounds like you've got Sa'am and being still as a pawns, reflective and not arguing going on for the horizon. Right now you've got this nice, stable, more simple way of life, having the home mm. clinic downstairs and home home upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. We've had close to an hour of conversation here. Where Where are you sitting right now with your thoughts about working from home that might be different from 50 minutes ago? Hmm. I feel like, so talking right now, I feel very calm. I love that. Uh, I love what you just spoke about and the sense of connection and interweaving and bringing things full circle with the Sa'am, the five elements integrated with the Liu Jing in Portland, we called it the six confirmations. There's so many different names for it. There's no good translation for that. I just, I just started calling it the six Ching. Yeah, yeah, perfect. The six Ching. So those two elements together, mixed with the still ponds, like that feels very, very full circle for me. So I feel this mm. sense of like nice completion. And where I am right now is I, I started off at another person's clinic two days a week. And then I backed it down to one day a week. And right now I'm at home three days a week. So I've already bumped up my at home time to quite a bit, but I can only see one person at a time and there's limited availability to grow. So still feeling this like where to next kind of feeling. And my leaning has been towards seeing if we can find a home that would be able to hit both of the birds, the yi shi liang niao, two actions with one action choice. So that's that's my hope. But also right now with COVID and with everything being really expensive and life a little bit more complicated, I also feel like this sense of just sitting back and resting and, and watching and waiting. And I guess another another consideration to throw into the mix is I'm not sure if we will stay in the U.S. or if we will leave the country. And that harkens back to something you spoke about earlier when you were transitioning from your space in Kirkwood to potentially a home clinic or potentially moving back to Washington or to the Pacific Northwest. So right now, as we're considering whether to stay in the U.S. or to move to New Zealand or move to Hawaii or move who knows where because we're young and the world is a really exciting place, but I'm also a clinician and wherever I change to, I'll have to start out fresh pretty much from scratch again and start the hustle from point A once more. So there's a there's a lot to consider, but I'm currently pretty excited about looking for a home. Yeah. So the the thing about the home office, it also gives you much more flexibility, like with travel. So for me, I can't get on an airplane now and go to Asia, but I go there on a somewhat regular basis. And in the past, it's like I need to have other people in the clinic and working to make sure that the lights are on and 
that rent is being paid and all that stuff. And so not having that overhead does free you up if you are kind of a wandering spirit of sorts, then working out your home gives you much more flexibility. Like you're saying, being a clinician roots you to a place. And, and there's some goodness in that. And, and there's, you know, there's a requirement that you're somewhat stable. But if you like to wander with the wind, it that's a little bit counter to being a clinician. And so, yeah, you need to figure out how to make both of those parts of your life work. I think everyone's got different ways of figuring that dance out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like that part is part of the dance, which is exciting and very curious. I don't know yet exactly how it will work out. Like it has been working out even prior to COVID when I would teach outside of California every once in a while, uh, go off on camping trips and just create space within my schedule to be able to do other things outside of the clinic and live the life that I feel most alive living. I have been able to do that and I feel confident with doing that. And that brings me to another question that I have for you, which is mm. how do you, how do you do the podcast? Like, how do you organize your schedule so that you're able to do this and clinical work and whatever other, it seems like you've got a lot on your, a lot brewing. I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> At moments, I think I am. Actually, It's like, what am I doing? Uh -huh. What what I've done at this point is I've got certain hours that are clinical hours. That's when I see patients. Mm -hmm. I've got other hours that these are times I work on the podcast. So I don't see patients. I, I mean, I schedule it out. Mm -hmm. I work too much of the weekend at this point, but I'm working on not working that so much. But mostly it's a matter of saying I'm doing this at this time. I'm doing that at that time, creating the priorities for what's important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the podcast gives me a lot in terms of satisfaction and, and sense that maybe I'm being helpful to our community. Plus, I learned something delightful from every single person I speak to. So it, it to me, it's nourishing. It's like super nourishing. It's like being able to read a journal article um, that was never written because nobody wrote that article, but they could have. Mm -hmm. People don't like to write, uh -huh. but they're fine with talking. And so I feel the great privilege of being in the presence of people who are engaged and curious and thoughtful. And, and I get to hear what they have to say about the practice of medicine. Yeah. And, and I find that to be nourishing. So I, I get a lot from it that way. But there is, you're right, there is this aspect of being able to man, manage my time. I'm terrible at managing my time. It's really about creating spaces for this and spaces for that and, and doing my utmost to inhabit fully what I'm doing in that space that I've carved that time out for. Mm -hmm. So you're still following your hunches. You're following your nose. I don't know how else I would get by in this life. <laughs> Everything that I have planned, oh, yeah, it's going to go like this. It's just never worked out. Uh -huh. I mean, I've even had things that I plan. It's like, I, I am perfect. I've got the background for this. I got the experience for this. I got the desire for this. I can see the road through and it's like, welcome to the brick wall. Mm -hmm. 
it's just never worked for me. Other people it works great for. But for me, it, it, it just, it hasn't. And so sometimes I think, oh, you're just lazy because you don't plan well. There may be some of that, but it, for me, it, it has worked out by hunches. So I've just stopped arguing with it. Like my patients, I don't argue with them anymore about what's going on. I, I increasingly argue less with myself about how I work. Just let myself do it. I do it works. Way away. Working without working. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, Michael. Well, I feel like the Uwe is a wonderful place to conclude. I think so too. Jiling, thanks so much for uh, inviting me into this conversation today. Yeah, thank you for being the interviewed one. I hope that all y'all that have thought about having a home office found something of value in this conversation. One of the beauties of our medicine is that there are so many ways that we can approach and inhabit our practices. And while there are challenges to working out of your home, there are also some benefits. If you have found this conversation to be helpful and have questions yourself, or you would like to know more about the ins and outs of working from home, send me an email and let me know. We can do a follow-up or even a special event dedicated to exploring this way of working. So if you have an interest, send me that email. And remember, I love getting those postcards too. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.